Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue en America. I'm Suzanne Hola, yo soy Abraham Biggs, and today on Bilingüe en América, mis maestras, señora Buxo y doctora Caban. Hi, I'm Suzanne Lasser, and this is Bilingual in America. Dual language programs are enrichment programs. They are instructionally rich settings for students, for teaching partners as well. They're learning spaces where students and teachers share, inspire, and should feel creative. Johaira Buxo was born in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. The oldest of six children, she immigrated to the United States when she was only eight years old. Growing up, her dad would always say that education was everything because it is the one thing no one can take from you. She grew up with the understanding that no matter where you come from or your familial status, you can achieve greatness. Johaira became a teacher to serve and give back to the community because she believed she could make a difference. These are goals she now shows to her own children, Jaden and Ella. Johaira wants for them to be able to know who they are so that they may find their own purpose in this world. While Johaira has taught in various settings, her most treasured work has been teaching dual language. Dr. Vilma Luz Caban, dual language educator, humanitarian researcher, and advocate for women and children. Vilma's main passion has been serving 29 years as a public school educator. This work has ignited personal inquiries related to writing and educational research on topics that directly impact the lives of women and young people. Currently, when she's not teaching, she is working on a creative memoir writing project that helps share the narrative of a first-generation Puerto Rican girl living in New York City. It captures moments of perseverance that help to shape the future life of an advocate. Together, Johaira and Vilma work to ensure that their children, their students, are bilingual, biliterate, and bicultural. Their work is centered around putting students first and making sure they can always show their personal best. Let's listen in as they speak with Yarina Sencion. Welcome to Bilingual in America, Johaira and Vilma. What a true pleasure and honor it is to have you, this beautiful dynamic duo team of dual language. So excited to have you on our program today. Yeah, so excited to be here with my partner of now eight years, right, B? Yes, eight years. Wow, it goes so quickly. We have a social contract to each other, but I think we also have a love contract for each other and our children. So that's when you, right, with the dynamic duo here of dual language partners, we have to do this together as a partnership. Yes, absolutely. And in your dual language classrooms, how do you honor choice and voice? Wow, 
I will say that the challenges of being a dual language teacher is really shaped by curriculum. And so the curriculum that is, it sets the bar for what we have to teach. And then there are time constraints, right? So there you have the lockstep, almost like the pace that you have to maintain this momentum so that you can hit those key points. One of the challenges that I find for myself as a teacher in honoring choice is being able to offer choice because we feel like, okay, if we narrow down choice, then we can get, we can move on. But we have to fight against that, that initial instinct of, of saying, no, we got to go, lockstep, got to move on to the next topic. And, and I think that in activating that inside question of, wait, wait, let's not do that. That's our first step in honoring choice because our children need to be able to see that they do have a voice in this decision. So sometimes during the day, if there is a change in activities or if something happens, a change in our schedule, we will pose. I know I certainly feel comfortable posing. All right, we have this left to do. What do you guys suggest? Should we do this, this, or you know, move this activity or this idea over to the next day? I think activating them, involving them actively in that decision-making helps children begin to activate voice. It's not entirely the, the whole, what we should do as teachers, but it's the, the logistical voice that we wanna activate for kids because that internally will hopefully get them to say, as a learner, I have to set priorities. I have to try to do that. So that's my first way um, as a teacher, feeling the weight of everything we have to accomplish. Always remembering, okay, Vilma, slow down. What, what do the kids, what would they like and what would they prefer? Because we are a public service to our children. I love that you assert that with your children every day. That's not just a valuable in the moment lesson, that's a valuable life lesson. And I think that that's one of the organic ways that you can provide that opportunity for children who maybe feel, why am I learning this? Or why are we doing this? I think that you provide them that opportunity. What about you, Johaira? How do you provide that opportunity for voice and choice in your classroom? Just listening to, to Vilma and what she said, I was just kind of thinking back at um, the foundation where we begin with that process. And I think from the very beginning of the school year, we try to create a classroom where children feel that we are a family and we're in this together. And we are, we are creating this experience as a collective. And one of the things that I know that we've done well, well, you know, in terms of these choices that students are getting is that it's, it's our work with the LATIC classroom where children are made part of the process of what it is that they will be learning during the day. So we do something, we do an activity list every day. And so children understand and know the process and, and, and what we have to do during the day. It gives them like almost like a little, what I call a probadita, right? A little taste of their day. And, and so that they're already thinking about that and it invites their voices into, into the classroom so they can ask questions about what's going on. And I feel that creating that space and those structures for, for children allows them to organically be able to use their voices and know that their voice matters. 
and that we care and that um, we're in this together and that it's, it is, it's, it's about ownership and, and they're the learners here that will have to drive the rest of the day. So, you know, I, I tell them all the time that, you know, so, you know, um, so has been doing third grade now for eight years. So <laughs> it's really up to them, right? To really drive what we're doing during the day. And I feel that as the year sort of unfolds, we see their voices really come um, to light, even with just, you know, the things that they're telling us during the day about how they may feel or some of their ideas about the learning that's taking place in the classroom. We've been given them opportunities as well to kind of follow up on Jahira's idea of they make choices, sometimes language choices. So, you know, there there were days where we have our dual language meetings virtually, of course, they see both of our faces in our Zoom and we offer prompt or we offer them to follow up on something and they get to choose the language that they would like to respond in. So that's that's how we begin to transfer in a dual language classroom. The choice of, of what the day will look like as well as now really starting to activate that agency of language voice and getting them to, to choose which language do they want to focus on. I, I love all of that, you know, because you're really truly teaching them that they can use everything that they know about language and culture and their whole repertoire, they can pull it in and then they could make a choice, an informed choice as to like, well, I think that I want to do this in English because, and maybe they have to, it has to be a thoughtful choice, right? Like maybe who's my audience or, or who's going to be receiving this or reading this or looking at this. And I think you create more thoughtful human beings that way but it's explicitly like teaching them that these things are taking place because i think um children sometimes realize that there is that choice Thelma, at the beginning when you started to talk you start to talk a little bit about challenges and i'm sure you face you and yohaida face um, many challenges as dual language teachers but what what makes you stay true to the course and to the craft of dual language I have to say, thinking beyond the students. So I see their little faces in front of me. I hear their voices. And I know that behind those voices are extensions of little hubs of families. Each family is connected to their child. And each family makes a decision when they send their child to school to send their promise, their best, right? And we have to try to, and we receive their best, but we have to try to work, right? with that collective best. And so the challenge is being able to honor sometimes the needs of those children and push back a little bit. Maybe for that day, the curriculum that has been set forth, but that doesn't really connect culturally to what those children need in that moment. And feeling like I, I'm not betraying what those children need in that present. For the holidays, we have a cross-section of many communities in our classroom, and we want children to feel like they can be seen, and they are, and that's part of their validation. And the challenge is being able to not feel guilty that I am, that we're trying to explore, okay, what are all of the holidays, all the light celebrations 
in December when we really have perhaps two weeks, right, uh, left before a, ho a holiday break to continue to stay on course for curriculum. And Jahira and I really ask ourselves, well, you know, what's the big idea? What's this essential idea or question here? And in this case, it's light celebration in each of the celebration, you know, in each of those cultures. How can we tie that together and bring it to goals? Because many times it's about a new beginning, a new start. And so how that can turn key as we come back in January, reading goals, writing goals, getting ready to begin a new unit. And that does not come quickly. It, you have to have those conversations with a partner. You have to be thoughtful in terms of deciding, okay, I can't do this and this. I'm going to have to fold those activities together, but we're hitting one main essential target and, and objective. A lot of that requires time to converse and the challenges, feeling like we are honoring our children in doing all that. It's Sometimes I, I liken it to flying i've said this before it's like you're flying a plane to a destination and the plane is not fully constructed oh wait i think a wing here would be very good <laughs> if we want to keep on going <laughs> you know so but you know what you have faith that you're in the cockpit and you're going you know and that's where we are right now we we just feel the challenge and that's what not everyone's comfortable with that. And that's the challenge of staying in this profession. You have to be in between comfortable and uncomfortable. And you have to try to find that nice, beautiful balance. And some people are not comfortable being that not sure. And, and so you have to be, you almost have to flex that muscle of knowing that in this dual language position, you, you might've tied your mind around and wrapped around that. I'm gonna do this you got to be ready to release it and make those adjustments. That's not comfortable for a lot of people. And I'm certain that you and Johaira have come to a place, I mean, you have eight years of partnership and growing together. And, and that, that has brought you to a place where you could show each other your vulnerability. You can show each other your questions. You could, you could be yourselves and, and, and love each other for doing that and the kids benefit. I agree. And, and just speaking, you know, Vilma said something that was very important about honoring the needs. And so there's a lot there, right? Because there's the needs of what our, our, what we have to do as teachers, right? So it's our needs, like where we expect kids to be. And then the, there are the needs of that family. And then there are the individual needs of that child, Right. And so then the, the, the need for the district right, to meet certain standards and, and, and certain goals. And so it's just about tying all of that together. And it does require a lot of planning. So Vilma and I do spend time planning um, over the summer. And we do spend a lot of time just talking over the phone, especially now that our phones are very close to our desks. We're like planning and doing work, but we're also talking on the phone and making sure that we are constantly, it's almost like, you can almost like, you know, when you want to like talk to yourself, so you're thinking out loud, I, I keep her on speaker and I'm like, oh yeah, I have to get this. And we have to get that. Oh, I remember this book. Remember when we read this book? And we're just constantly having these conversations to really be able to meet and honor these needs, right? Um, because they're all very different needs, but they all really do have to be met. You can't just choose one need over the other. And, and it's about 
knowing like Velma said that, you know what? Sometimes it may not work and sometimes it will work, but we trust that at the end we have each other and we can bounce ideas off of each other so that we can ultimately meet those goals. And so, yeah, the, you know, the planning piece of it, very important in our program. We, we start our day sometimes and you know, when I was like, trying to work already. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Talking to Vilma and those adjustments, and you know, and while the custodian is in my room, we're both on speaker, and he's, he's doing his ritual, you know, a cleaning in the morning. You, it's it's just a norm for him. He's so used to. He doesn't even hear us anymore, you know. <laughs> but I think that, in a way, I I hope that it's it's a testimony that he sees that this work is a collective work, that this doesn't happen, that, you know, many people view teaching profession as an isolated profession. You are by yourself in your room and that's your domain. And if, and I think that our goal here is that not only for dual language teachers, but for our profession, we have to break away from that because if not, we're not going to be dynamically responsive to those needs. And like Jahira said, those, the variety of needs, you know, that we have to meet. I think it's important that we witness teachers actively shaping it and and dismantling. Oh wait, we can't do that. We have to do. You know, I have to try a different way. But it has to be wrapped in respect. One time, I had a, I was feeling a certain kind of way about what one student brought, and I felt that it wasn't up to par, you know. And she 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 called me to task and said, Vilma, how are you to judge? what you think is the best. Maybe that is their best. Maybe that parent did X, Y, and Z, worked X amount of hours, and this is all they can bring. And you have to receive it. And you, you have to suspend judgment and not you know, decide that it's not up to the need. And let me tell you, she, she called me to task. And, and, I had, and I sat there, I received it, I reflected, and I didn't, I didn't get upset. I didn't, I realized, wow, that takes, that takes guts because she could have elected to say, you know, I'm going to stay quiet about it. I can't believe she said that, but she, (laughs) she said it right back and said, Vilma, this is what we have to receive. And I, and that, that only happens, right? When, when you have that respect, that mutual respect and that understanding that our ultimate goal is about serving them. Yes. And you know, the needs, those needs don't always align what I expect what they expect what they want what they need from us sometimes doesn't align right we have to be okay with that absolutely I what I see in your marriage is that you're redefining what it means to be a teacher that we don't have to stay in our own little corners and in our own little worlds and certainly like a true marriage you're holding the mirror up for each other in a beautiful and respectful way and I think that that that's what makes your partnership grow and thrive. Kudos to both of you. How do you teach and honor like the hues of the Latinx diaspora, right? Because it's, it's always the topic that we wanna talk about, we don't know how to talk about. Yeah, I think as a Latinx community, we're all so different, you know? And I think it's about highlighting those differences We have a lot of opportunities in the classroom to highlight differences in even language. But I think that it takes one additional step 
in, in really exploring even cultures and cultural differences so that students can get just sort of like a better understanding of their own identities and how they can share. And it's giving them that, that sort of platform so that they're comfortable sharing what makes them who they are and activating that. Um, the individualism in, in each of them. And so just recently we were talking about El Dia de los Reyes. And I, when I presented the activities for them, I just sort of said, like, we are actually going to explore how different people in Mexico celebrate. But you're going to see that they, even though it's a different, you know, there were different towns, they each have certain variations of the celebrations that they do. And we, we said, you know, this is very, very, you can compare it to even, you know, when we celebrate Christmas in America, right? We all have different traditions. And, and then I, and then, you know, we, we explored that, but then I also said like, I'm, I'm from the Dominican Republic and I celebrate El Dia de los Reyes, but this is how I do it. And then someone raised their hand and they said, well, this is how I do this. And so giving them that sort of platform to be able to share, but, um, but, and also just like for them to be proud of that, you know, like this is what I do and, and let's celebrate it too, you know? I think it's something that's created in a way that is just a natural discussion, right? In the dual language classroom where we can just say that and it's accepted. And I think back to my early years of teaching dual language and my one of my first experiences working as a teacher, I worked um, with a partnership, but it was a very different partnership. So I had a co-teacher in my, in my room, but it was not dual language, it was not bilingual, right? So it was a, a, regular, a, a regular classroom. The year after that, I actually worked in a bilingual classroom and I had the same co-teacher come visit us and she was just part of the morning meeting right the start of our day we're getting to know each other and you know we're having conversations and we're sharing right that aspect of sharing and and talking and she uh, you know afterwards she came back to me and she said jahaira i cannot believe that all those children were just sharing and they looked comfortable. And if you look at the profile of some of those children and match them to the year prior, and you you think about that, you know, we had to pull so much from them. It was different. And sometimes, right, it takes us, like Vilma and I, we will we'll get together this summer and we'll sort of like recap this year as much as we can to sort of say like, what happened, right? But to have that, to have someone from the outside come in and say that to me, it really just opened my eyes to that idea that we are giving you the platform. You can speak to us, tell us, how are you different? That when you say that when a child says, well, this year, my wish for this year is that I can have my brother in this country. Another mm. child can raise their hand and say, me too. Mm. And we, we didn't know that. And, 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 you know, and just to have that, that it's not just, oh, I just want to get better in reading. This is their need. You know, this is their heart. And that they're giving this platform to sort of share that 
listen, they're all different. Yes. But that they're they're able to see how we are the same and how we share. There's so much that we do share. It's I, beautiful. It is. It, it mm. is beautiful. And you, you, you created that culture, but you know, that, that made that you, you decided in that moment, I have to, but you model that. I'm sure you modeled that when you shared your anecdotes of when you first came to this country as an eight-year-old from the Dominican Republic, learning English for the first time, you gave those, those stories, you know, you activated that, that almost that inside permission to say, oh, I can say that. I can, I can share that. And sometimes you got to make deliberate choices to, in terms of shaping what the cultural norms are around you in terms of being an American. For example, Thanksgiving for dual language. In the past, we've had a parent come in, the, the turkey, all of that lovely stuff. But guess what? We, we were in the middle of COVID right now, and we have to be very careful, right, uh, with food preparation and all of that. So I had seen a book called Saturday Sancocho, and it talks about a family in, in Mexico who is, you know, they, their Saturday treat was to make a sancocho, but they didn't have the money. And so they had to be very creative of, of how they were going to do some trading and bartering to get all the things eventually at the market so that they can make that sancocho. So we decided to bring this sancocho idea to our children, where families were now going to send Ziploc bags of different things that they had to make a collective sancocho. Kids had never had a sancocho in their life who, you know, were not of, of Latin American descent. And so they were like, wow, this is really good. But, you know... For once, we planted the seed, right, of sancocho. So, because not everyone does Thanksgiving turkey. I mean, if my family was a chicken. Nobody, I say pavo tan seco. It was too dry. It was going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, or a pennil. It was a roast because that, that turkey, they could not wrap their heads around, why are we making this bird? You know, so had we not done that, then the children, right? So we reshaped the collective sharing, coming together instead of, coming together around a turkey, it was a stew, a sancocho. And it's funny because I was nervous about that sancocho. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, like in my house. I mean, I, my Ziploc consisted of, um, of my, <laughs> of my own um, sazon concoction, right? From my house. <laughs> Because I was like, I brought my adobo. I was like throwing things in there to make it good. Because some of the kids are like, oh, this is not going to be good. And I said, no, this is going to be good. Because it is a little piece, a little part of all of us are putting it in there. And you know what? It's not, it's going to be good. Because Senora Butch is going to make sure that it's good. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to put that seasoning. So we put some sofrito in there to make sure that Of course. Good. Oh yeah, yeah. And then we I actually brought my blender from home. <laughs> you know, brought my blender. We the kids were like, this is the best soup I ever had. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> what a beautiful, beautiful experience. And you have so much fun and joy in creating that experience and that that collective we are going to do this together. Uh, as you were talking, it reminded me of the um the classic story Stone Soup. Mm -hmm. and how you can do that with a sancocho. Yeah. As it just, I, 
I wish I was there to enjoy that with you guys. Just beautiful. It was my first time using a crock pot. I was dubious. I was not feeling very confident, but with the help of my partner, she told me, Vilma, this is going to come out great. Don't you worry. It will be done in four hours. Trust. <laughs> well, um, please invite me to your next Sancocho party. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, muchachas. I could talk to you forever, I'm sure. And I just adore everything that you're sharing. But, you know, our our hashtag is speak your beauty. And it is clear that you speak your beauty through your craft and with your children and your students. But how else do you uniquely speak your beauty out in the world? Hmm. I think for me now, it's just about being able to give and pour out just everything that I've learned throughout the years. I see it in my own children now, and it makes me so proud just to be a mom and be able to carry some of those lessons that I've learned in the classroom with my own family. And one of my proudest moments just recently, my son was given an award and he actually asked the principal to please read his, to read the letter that his teacher, his monolingual teacher had written about him in English and Spanish. And that was beautiful. And to be able to now see my own children sort of, you know, taking what they've learned in, the, in, in our culture and moving it forward. I, that speaks, that's, that's, the beauty that I have, that, that, that can come out of that, those are my kids. And to be able to do that is just, and to see that, it's just amazing. Hmm. Wow, I guess for me, the, the way I speak my beauty is that the spoken word is the written word. I've given myself permission to be more of a creative, to activate my own personal narrative to share, to inspire, as well as to become a little more self-aware. So one of the things that I do to activate that writing voice sometimes is I put on a helmet and get on, on that motorcycle because I don't listen to music. I listen to the music in the car all the time. And so sometimes I think I drown out my own little voice because I'm listening to everyone else's lyrics. But in, in that, on that motorcycle ride, I, I'm thinking. And I, of course I'm careful, but I'm, I'm thinking. And I think that I'm thinking about, okay, what am I gonna write? Or, or I go into a memory and say, oh, I'm gonna write about that today. And that's how I'm trying to speak my beauty more. Activating that inside voice of the spoken word, I'm becoming the written word. I really wanna acknowledge your response here because I feel like in both of your responses, what's common is that it's through legacy. You hide out your legacy through your children, that they continue to pass that down. There's nothing more powerful. And through written word, right? That's something that continues to live on beyond our own time and our own existence. So ladies, I want to thank you so much for sharing with me what you practice for being true, being honest, being joyful, being beautiful. And please continue to speak your beauty. And thank you so much for spending this time with me here on Bilingual in America. Thank you. Adelante.
As a parent with a son in their classroom, I can tell you that this dynamic duo provides exposure and support for him to be bilingual. Like when he uses his full repertoire of language to record a video for an assignment, bicultural, with his awareness of traditions inside the Latinx community and beyond, and biliterate, where he comfortably and confidently reads a book in English and then talks about it in Spanish. We encourage educators to follow in the path of Vilma and Johaira and to bring forth opportunities for students to see themselves in their learning and have choice within the constructs of the curriculum. In the words of Frida Kahlo, pies, para que los quiero si tengo alas pa volar? Feet, what do I need them for if I have wings to fly? Thank you, dynamic duo. Thank you for giving my son and all your other children the wings they need to fly. Until next time, speak your beauty. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share. By sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm Bilingual in America and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast, you are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback. Follow us, like us, share us.